0: this is Chet you remember me Chet Ripley? How are you doing? this is his family you can run around here naked as a yeah. bear. not worry about running into anybody oh, God. No! this is Roman what a gas this is his family I'm waiting for the heads to rotate around and vomit peach soup they're about to spend one week together in the great outdoors. We weren't invited. Ah, they'll be tickled to death to see us. Who invited them anyway? But this is no holiday. The man is an ass! This is war. You wouldn't know a good time if it fell out of the sky, landed on your face, and started to wiggle. Are you going to argue? Or are you going to enjoy yourself? Dan Aykroyd. John Candy. The great outdoors. Outdoor fun for the whole family. That had to hurt. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I'm your host, Scott White. Welcome to the first show of 2020. And what project am I looking at this time? I'm looking at the movie The Great Outdoors, starring Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, Annette Bening, written by John Hughes. Came out in 1988. This was the second pairing of uh, John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. Uh, They were together in 1941, 1941, oddly enough, the first podcast I ever did. So if you're getting a little bit nostalgic, go back and check out the first podcast I ever did. Uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Candy, of course, worked together uh, at uh, Second City. That's where they met each other. And you always talk about usually, you know, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi uh, being a great comedy duo. But the Dan Aykroyd-John Candy combo is also just as funny. They worked together in Second City, they worked together in, in several movies, they were friends off-screen as well. So it was nice to see the two of them uh, team up in this movie. And let's just get right into it. We are going to start with the opening credits. It is John Candy and his family, and they're driving, and they're driving over the tune of Yakity Yak by the Coasters. The family is all singing along. You get the feel from this opening credit that this is a close family. A lot of times when you get a family movie, there's always one teenager in there who's just rolling their eyes and don't want to be there. You don't get that feeling when you see these opening credits. You see this family, they're all singing along, they're all having a good time doing it. None of the teenagers are too cool to do it. So you get a nice feeling of family through these opening credits. They're driving, you see cuts of nature... Forests, swans, lakes, stuff like that. And they arrive at this campsite. It's the campsite where John Candy and his wife honeymooned. So they're coming back here with their kids. John Candy, he, he's just a, a, a family man. He wants his family to have fun. He, it's He's a lot like uh, Clark Griswold from the Vacation movies. And John Hughes actually wrote the first Vacation movie. You get sort of a Clark Griswold vibe off of John Candy. He's a family guy. He wants his family to have fun. He's there for them. They check in, and while they're checking in, you see a cut. You're cutting back and forth from them checking into the cabin through this uh, Mercedes-Benz, which has the license plate Ronin on it. In Illinois, Illinois, because you know all John Hughes films actually take place in Illinois. And I know I'm saying it wrong, Illinois. There's this horn that says, blow me (laughs) for service. And they blow this horn, and this dog just hops up and starts growling at him. It has porcupine quills. And the innkeeper and his wife show up, and they are these two grizzled old people. And the innkeeper is like, "Uh, that's our dog. Hates people, loves porcupines. They take them to their uh, cabin, and it's this huge, nice cabin. You think it's a nice cabin, but evidently something happened in that cabin because when they check into the cabin, it's all dirty and filthy, Once again, while all this is happening, we're cutting back and forth between them checking in and uh, this car, which is Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd pulls up with his family, Annette Bedding and his two daughters. So John Candy has a wife and two sons, and Dan Aykroyd has a wife and two daughters. The two daughters are twins, and the two daughters are like the two twins from The Shining. They're just really, really creepy, and they play that up through the entire movie. John Candy's kids are fine. Uh, normal, uh, teenage kids, but the girls are played creepy. We find out when Dan Aykroyd arrives that they weren't invited. They just came up on their own. I don't know how they found out they were going up there. Uh, their wives are sisters, so they must've talked and that's how I knew. So they came up here to surprise, quote unquote, surprise John Candy and his family. And they get into the cabin and we see this scene where John Candy's wife is trying to clean up the, clean up the cabin And uh, John Candy starts flirting with his wife. And it's actually a very, it's a very nice, it's kind of a sweet scene. You can see that they're still in love after all this time, which is nice. So they do that for a while, and John Candy finally convinces her, and the clothing starts to come off. And at that point, that's when Dan Aykroyd comes in the front door with a camcorder. It's 1988, so there's a camcorder on his shoulder. I don't know why he would have a camcorder out at that point, but he does have a camcorder out, and he starts filming them while they're going through all this. And John Candy, you see, the first time. John Candy sort of loses temper in this movie and he just tells Dan Aykroyd to shut that damn thing off and he walks towards it and you see the fuzz and then you cut to, you see the fuzz and you cut to Dan Aykroyd and John Candy out sitting on the porch. John Candy's he's playing up the nice guy. He knows that Dan Aykroyd is family and of course, Dan Aykroyd plays, once again, he plays this, he's an investment broker. So he plays this fast-talking investment broker who's much more well off than John Can- John Candy and his wife, they make a good living. He makes a good living, but supposedly Ronan is a very is a very very rich in law. Throughout the movie, Dan Aykroyd keeps dropping how much this cost, how much that cost. He keeps reminding them of how rich they are, and it's the two of them just sitting on the porch talking. And I'll tell you this: this movie shines when it's Dan Aykroyd and John Candy on the screen together, playing off of each other. This is when the movie is at its best. These two comedy pros—they know each other. They know how to play off of each other. The one thing I like best about the scenes between Dan Aykroyd and John Candy is they both don't try to be funny at the same time. One scene is Dan Aykroyd's and John Candy lets Dan Aykroyd have the spotlight, another scene is John Candy and Dan Aykroyd lets John Candy—they're not stepping on each other. There was uh, this famous story in— cat, you know, we'll go off on this. Uh. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Uh, there's this famous story in Caddyshack between Chevy Chase and Bill Murray. And each one of them was trying to get the best of them in the scenes that they were in together. They kept trying to top each other. And they wouldn't let each other get in the final laugh and they wouldn't let each other you know get in the final joke and they just kept trying to boom 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 and we're back and that doesn't happen in this movie John Candy and Dan Aykroyd are both professionals and they both let each other play off of each other and they both let each other get the laughs that each one deserves in certain situations so they're on their porch and they're talking and once again uh Dan Aykroyd plays the fast talking businessman and he has one of his famous fast talking business lines scenes whatever here it is i see the underdeveloped resources of northern minnesota wisconsin and michigan i see a syndicated development consortium exploiting over a billion and a half dollars in forest products i see a paper mill and if the strategic metals are there a mining operation a greenbelt between the condos on the lake and a waste management facility focusing on the newest rage and toxic waste medical refuse infected bandages, body parts, IV tubing, contaminated glassware, entrails, syringes, fluid, blood, low-grade radioactive waste, all safely contained, sunken in the lake, and sealed for centuries. Now, I ask you, what do you see? To which John Candy replies, trees. I see trees. In this scene, John Candy is just choking back his anger. He doesn't want Dan Aykroyd's character to be there. He doesn't want Dan Aykroyd's family to be there. He just... He's had a problem, you can just tell by this little scene that he's had a problem with Dan Aykroyd his entire life while they've been in-laws. Now, here is something sort of sad and ironic that happens in this scene where Dan Aykroyd starts telling John Candy that, you know, you're not a man of vision, but I say that to you as a compliment because most of us are just chasing that dollar and we're going to die of a heart attack way too young. And, of course, John Candy died of a heart attack way too young it's kind of eerie listening to the end of that scene because when you know what happens to john candy then we cut to it's john candy's two sons and they feel like they're being watched by an alien presence and they turn around and it's dan Aykroyd's two daughters and while they're staring at uh the boys the twilight zone theme starts playing and we're gonna go off on one of these tangent alert tangent alert Tangent alert! Tangent alert! The Twilight Zone theme goes off in this movie, and Dan Aykroyd had a part in Twilight Zone, the movie. Another podcast, which I have done, please check that out if you haven't checked it out already. And we are back, trying to keep these tangent alerts short. They start barbecuing, and they start barbecuing Lobster Tail. And Dan Aykroyd just brought the lobster tail with him. It's like, we're not eating hot dogs. We're having lobster tail. And he keeps telling them how much each lobster tail costs. And once again, throughout the movie, he keeps telling John Candy's family what everything costs. And there's a weird little thing that happens in this. I'm in my 50s. I've been around a lot of married people. I'm not married. And in this scene, Dan Aykroyd kisses John Candy's wife on the lips. And I have never seen that. Even somebody that's really close, even a relative, kiss another man's wife on the lips. That's just wrong, and it's just weird. And every time I see that, it happens in movies a lot. That's one of those things that never happen in real life, but happen in movies, like people who keep keys in their visor. That never happens. Nobody ever keeps keys in their sun visor, and nobody kisses another man's wife unless he's having an affair with that woman, okay? I just want to get that straight off my chest. We cut to them inside the cabin. They're having dinner. John Candy's talking about getting a pontoon boat with his boys. Dan Aykroyd says, nope, we're getting a ski vote. And John Candy is outvoted. So it's the next day they're going to get a ski vote. So they we cut to the living room. And everybody's talking. And then we see John Candy slowly turning off the lights. One by one. Start telling a bear story. This reminded me of uh, the scene in Meatballs where Bill Murray is telling the story about the hook-handed man uh, around the campfire, where there's a fire going, and John Candy is telling the story about this bear, how when him and his wife were there back in the 60s, that was when uh, this bear attacked, and this bear just sort of shook the, shook the cabin, and John Candy shot the bear and gave the bear a mohawk, and the bear ran off, and he ends the story by saying the bear may still around and he throws his uh, whiskey into the fireplace and his huge fireball goes off and everybody starts screaming and everybody starts berating john candy how could you do that how could you do that and i just i didn't understand watching this movie i didn't understand that it's a cabin it's a ghost story maybe it was inappropriate to tell it in front of the kids but the adults yell at him and it was, just, it was just a fun ghost story. That's things you do when you're out in the wilderness. That's the sort of the things you do. So I never understood, watching this movie all this year, the fact that they all got mad at him for telling this bear story. Anyway, we cut to John Candy. He's in a bedroom with his son telling him that it was just a story, and it's a story his dad told him. John Candy is all about tradition. That's what a lot of the reasons he's here for. It's about tradition. He wants to hand things down to his sons. He wants them to continue the tradition. John Candy, very good family man. He wants his sons to experience the joy that he had growing up. He wants to pass that down. It's very nice to see in this character. And while he's telling his son this, Dan Aykroyd is listening in, and he goes in to tell his little girls about the story, not to worry about it. And you can tell from this scene that uh, Dan Aykroyd is not a, I don't want to say he's a bad father, but he is not a as an attentive father as John Candy is, as you can hear uh, from this little speech that he gave his girls. I know that a terrifying story like that coming from the mouth of a recognized authority figure could be traumatizing for kids like yourselves. I know that because I had a similar experience with my Uncle Roy and a story he used to tell about a family that went into the woods and was attacked by a band of escaped Army psychiatric patients who'd been subjected to violent, hellish, torturous behavior modification experiments. Seems they escaped from the metal boxes the Army kept them in, found this family in the woods, and fell upon them, slaughtered them, and ate them. When he is done telling that story, he walks out of the room, turns off the lights, and the girls are just staring off into space. Then we cut to these raccoons. There's a running gag throughout the whole movie with these raccoons. They talk in raccoon talk. You get the human subtitles of what they're really saying. This time they're raiding the garbage cans, saying how they love rich people. When they come, they always bring the best garbage. And then after that scene, we cut to morning. And we see the whole cabin waking up. You know, we see the boys waking up. We see Dan Aykroyd and his wife and that bedding waking up. And then we see the girls, and they're still in the same position. And here's what I love about that joke: they let that joke breathe. I think in most movies, they would have done is Dan Aykroyd would have done that speech. He would have turned off the lights. We would have seen the girls. Uh, staring off in the space, and then the next scene, it would be morning, and they'd be staring. This It gave the joke time to breathe, and that's what I really liked. I really like that in, in this scene. Uh, they didn't hop on that joke. They gave that joke time to breathe. And then we cut to Dan Aykroyd getting ready. He's got one of them nineteen eighty cell phones, and he's talking on that phone while he's trimming his nose hair and scratching his butt. He's contemplating why the, his daughters don't revere him like John Candy's boys revere him. And Annette Benning's trying to tell him, well, maybe it's uh, too much time at work and all that, but Dan Aykroyd cuts her off. He's trying to get a deal going on the phone. Whoever's on the phone, either they lost reception or they hung up on him. And now we're beginning to see a little bit about Dan Aykroyd's life may not be the way it is. That's starting to creep into the story here. They're going out to rent the boat, the jet boat. They're going out to rent the jet boat. And, and John Candy's oldest son asks if he can walk around the city, whatever, not that. And John Candy's oldest son asks if he can walk around the town and head back later. And John Candy agrees on one condition, that they're going to spend time together. John Candy wants to spend time with his family. He wants this to be a family thing, but he's also not an over dominating dad that's demanding it. If I wanted a dad in real life, I think John Candy would have been a great dad. It just Well, it's just in this movie, he would have been a great dad. They rent this speedboat, and now they're going to do water skiing. John Candy is showing his younger son how to water ski. We've seen tons and tons of movies of this water ski scene that we're about to see, where people are just dragged across the lake, and all they have to do is let go of the rope. And every movie I've ever seen, every reviewer has said, all you have to do is drop the rope. And nobody drops the rope. (laughs) Okay. John Candy does not drop the rope, but here's what happens. While John Candy is teaching his younger son, he's telling him, if you ever get in trouble, just drop the rope. So they are acknowledging this. I think this is a very smart thing to do. They are acknowledging how stupid it is not to drop the rope. So when John Candy doesn't drop the rope, his younger son just yells, drop the rope. So we get the typical water ski scene where he's being dragged over and people are laughing and people are applauding. And there's a scene where he gets pulled through the reeds and the reeds keep smacking him into nuts. That just reminded me of a scene in Stripes where he was running across the log and he fell in the log and got hit in the nuts. So those are two John Candy nut scenes. After all that, we cut back to the cabin. John Candy is mad. He's angry. He wants to leave. He doesn't want to be there with uh, with uh, Roman anymore. And John Candy's wife convinces him to stay. And she says, you're a big man, and you're a kind man, and you're above all this. And when you hear that from whatever you've heard about all the people who knew John Candy, that's how John Candy was in real life. He was a big man, and he was a nice man, and he was a kind man. So when she was saying that about his character, she was actually saying that about John Candy, because that's how he was in life. In this scene, she turns the tables. In the beginning, when John Candy was flirting with her, she gave in to him now when she's doing the same thing to him he gave in so it sounds like they have a really nice relationship they can talk to each other which is nice to see man woman you can see that there's backstory with these two that they have a nice marriage they have a nice relationship just little things he goes you know just kiss me throughout this movie you see with this couple just little things that i have seen i i I've talked about things I have not seen with married people, but there are a lot of things in here that I have seen with married people, subtle things, and that's what makes the relationship work in this movie, those little subtle things between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. We cut to the next day, and the innkeeper is bringing Dan Aykroyd's two girls. There is evidently an abandoned mine close to the property, and the girls wandered off over there. The caretaker, the owner, said that those mines have been shut down. They were shut down in the army. They're dangerous. Keep your girls, you know, keep all the kids away from there. So that's what we like to call foreshadowing. Remember that? We cut to a party, and they're having a party for a 109-year-old man, the oldest man in Canada. Now, this is what I'm, I don't know where this movie takes place. The license plates say Chicago, or not Chicago. Well, the license plates say Illinois. John Candy says he's the oldest man in Canada. But later in the film, they reference that they're in a state. So I don't know where this movie has taken place. I don't know if he's he's the oldest man in Canada, but he's in the States. Or I don't know if they're from the States and they're visiting Canada. I don't know. There is a 109-year-old man that they're having a party for. John Candy wants to see this. We get all the kids around this man and John Candy starts taking pictures, and he tells the little girls to kiss him on the cheek, and the, the owner says, uh, you probably shouldn't do that. He died on the way over. And the kids scream, and they run out. John Candy just what? just starts berating the caretaker, the owner. It's like, what is wrong with you? Uh, you know, and he keeps yelling to his kids, go wash, go wash. <laughs> um, that was a nice, cute, funny scene. Now it's a part of the movie which is sort of blah. They mire this movie down with a teenage love story between John Candy's oldest son and a local girl. And they're at an arcade, and the two brothers are shooting pool, and one of the brothers bumps this girl with his pool cue, and she runs out, and he runs after her. Now we have to watch this subplot which we really don't need. It doesn't really go anywhere and honestly we really don't care. Now it's in the movie. Now we have to deal with that. And there's a lot of cuts in this movie that don't make sense. Continuity wise. So the two brothers are playing pool and the one brother runs off after this girl. Then we cut to the next scene which is John Candy and the youngest boy with the two girls in the back. They're at this bear dump. And while they're at this bear dump, we cut to the older brother chasing after the girl. At one point, the two brothers are at an arcade playing pool. And then at another point, that younger brother is in the car with his dad, while this other brother is... The the continuity, the editing is a bit sloppy in these parts. If you're paying attention, you're really going to notice it. So the older brother goes off and tries to track down this girl. And he does, and she blows him off. And then John Candy and his youngest son and the two girls are at this bear dump looking at the bear. It's called the Bear Dump. And they're looking at these bears and John Candy feeds these uh, bears, these Zagnut bars, and these bears crawl on top of his station wagon. And there's scenes where you can see it's actually John Candy and the actors in the car with these bears on the car. John Candy ends up driving away with these bears on his hood. And here's that scene I was talking about where his son goes, isn't it illegal to drive with bears on your car? And John Candy goes, I don't know what the laws are in this state, son. Are we in a state? Are we in Canada? I don't know. We cut to John Candy just out getting a breath of night air. You can tell on his face he's just aggravated with everything that's been happening so far. And his oldest son comes back to the cabin and they go out in a rowboat And they have this really nice moment under the stars where John Candy gives his son his ring and he says, my dad gave me this ring while I was here and I wanted to give you this ring while we were here. So it's family, it's tradition, it's passing it down from generation to generation. It was a really nice scene and the best part about this scene was it wasn't undercut by a joke. They just end the scene. Nothing stupid happens. Nothing wacky happens. It was just a nice scene between a father and a son. You can have those in movies. And we did. We cut to the raccoons once again. Now they have put uh, rocks on top of the garbage cans. And you hear the raccoons talk and you can read what they say. That never works. And once again, they get into the garbage cans. The next day, we see John Candy's oldest son finds out where this girl works and bugs her at work. I don't know how he knew where to find her at work, but he did. He ran across her. I guess this it really is a podunk town, because if you're able to find somebody that you just met and didn't even know her name, if you're able to find her the next day, it's gotta be a really small, small town. He finds her at work. He asks her when she gets off. They do a little flirting. She says, I get off at 8. If you can find out where I am, yeah, we can hang out. I don't care. I don't care about these two. I'd like to see more scenes between John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. I guess this was put in for the quote-unquote younger viewers that Dan Aykroyd and John Candy weren't pulling in. But I don't know how many people can identify being on vacation uh, for three days and falling in love. <laughs> but that's what happens in this movie. We cut to this montage, the split screen of Dan Aykroyd hitting golf balls and John Candy... Uh, go-kart racing how I said before how we did the water skiing bit but they it's like okay well let's let go they sort of were self-aware this one is a standard Dan Ackerwood's hitting golf balls he hits a golf ball and it pegs John Candy in the face while he's driving a go-kart nothing original there you've seen the whole golf ball at least didn't hit him in the nuts I give him credit for not putting the golf ball in his nuts but yeah it hits him in the face Not that funny. Not that original. Now they're horseback riding. Everybody's doing well except for John Candy. His horse has given him problems. And John Candy gets off the horse and he sort of had this conversation with his horse. It's like, look, you don't like me. I don't like you. We'll just walk back. However, then the horse takes off and we cut to the stable where everybody's waiting for John Candy. Dehydrated. And his clothes are all messed up. I don't know how far he was from the end, uh, but I don't understand how he got that disheveled just walking back. But he did. He he excuses himself. He's like, I just need a little nap. I just need. A, and everybody, oh come on, come on. I just need. A, no, no, I'm going. I'm going to take a nap. John Candy is the butt of most of the jokes in this movie about things not working. You know the water ski the the baseball in the face the horse john candy is the fall guy throughout all this and even though he's the fall guy throughout this he still keeps his temper through most of the film we'll get to what happens later but for most part he's he's an even keel guy he's like okay i'm gonna deal with this i'm gonna flow with this i'm gonna see what happens we cut back to the park the two lovebirds have found each other that's just to establish that they're together now then we cut to a bar where John Candy and Dan Aykroyd are drinking. Uh, this guy walks in, Reg. And Reg has a very unique haircut. This is what his haircut looks like. There's quite a hairdo you got going there, Reg. You don't have a neo-skunk thing? Or... Well, what do you do? Well, he's got the hair. Well, you don't have to say anything. And the reason his hair looks like that is because he was struck by lightning 66 times. Yes, 66 times he was struck by lightning in the head. And the bartender says, if you ever see Reg running, you know there's a big storm coming up. Once again, foreshadowing. And while they're drinking at the bar, Dan Aykroyd tells John Candy to pay for the drinks while he goes to the bathroom. Once again, little something creeping in. He's so rich, why doesn't he pay for the drinks? He's ordering the rounds, but yet John Candy is paying for the drinks. And then we cut to the table with the two sisters, the two wives, with the kids. And they're talking, and Annette Bening is telling... John Candy's wife, how hard it is to be rich and how she's not really happy and how she's not being sexually satisfied. I don't know why they're having this conversation in front of children, but they are. So we're establishing that their relationship may not be as strong as John Candy and his wife. Now we cut back to the teens in the boat and they're talking (laughs) about, once again, they broached the subject of, wow, you're going home in three days. Why should we even be doing this? And my thoughts exactly, you're going to be there for three days. What are you going to do in three days? You know, your dad's up here trying to bond with you, and you're off trying to chase this woman, which you, woman, girl, 16-year-old. They're both 16, it looks like. He says that he's never really had a girlfriend. But he calls her his girlfriend after only knowing each other for, what, five hours, six hours? If I could talk to the young lady in the film right now, He followed you, and he talked to you smoothly. Any guy that can talk to you that smoothly at 16, he's had a girlfriend or two. Okay, don't buy that he is not, yeah, that he is this hermit, that he is this... uh, I still can't talk to women, and that guy was smooth as silk talking to this strange woman. (laughs) Put that out there to the fictional girl in that movie. We cut to the cabin, we hear a scream, and it's Annette Benning. She runs out, and she's freaking out because there's a bat in the cabin and there's this bat flying around. And the thing with the bat is, thanks to high-definition television, you can actually see the wire that the bat is on. The bat is flying around, and John Candy and Dan Aykroyd have to get this bat out of the cabin so everybody can go to sleep. They come in, and they're dressed. They've got on these big parkas, and they've got tennis rackets, and they've got nets. And they're basically making fools out of themselves trying to catch this bat. And the bat ends up landing on John Candy's face, and Dan Aykroyd just smashes him. You think in a movie like this, they would do the clowning around and the bat would basically fly away? Not in this movie. They smack that bat right off of John Kennedy's face and Dan Aykroyd puts the killing blow with a fly water. like, wow. I, I, I've seen this movie before, but I don't remember that. I was like, well, that was, that was pretty brutal. Kids don't like bats, but a lot of, you know, you don't want to show unnecessary killing for no reason. That bat, there was no reason to kill the bat. It wasn't doing anything, uh, but they do. So let's move on from the dead bat, man. (laughs) Sorry. We cut back again to the, see, this teenage love thing. is just dragging this movie down. (sighs) We cut to him at her work. What time do you get off? She says eight o'clock. You want to meet at nine? She says, yes. She goes, I'm just waiting for you to ditch me. Okay, why would you think that? Why would you think that you're waiting for him to ditch you? He's here today. If he was going to ditch you, he wouldn't show up at your work again. And he's here with his family, so you know that he has other obligations. And he goes, hey, if I ditch you, you don't have to talk to me ever again. And there we go foreshadowing. A lot of foreshadowing in this movie. We cut to one of the famous scenes in the movie. Uh, They go out to dinner. And they're all ordering, and they ask, "What is the old 96?" In this scene, if you eat a 96-ounce steak, you and your whole family gets to eat for free. Why didn't they make it the 98? That rhymes. I ate the 98. I ate the old 98. But no, it's I ate the old 96. Add a couple of ounces on there, you know, and get a rhyme going for your T-shirts. That's just poor marketing, right there. You know what I'm saying? We see the scene where John Candy is trying to eat the 96-ounce steak, and it's cut between him and we see the girl waiting for the her date to show up, and they cut back and forth. Here's the thing with the, Okay, here's the thing. Nobody's paying attention to this kid. If this is so important to you, why don't you slip away and meet your girlfriend, your quote-unquote girlfriend? Nobody's going to notice because everybody in this restaurant is looking at John Candy trying to finish this 96-ounce steak. You get back, your dad's pretty forgiving, because he was supposed to meet this girl at 9 o'clock. He's obviously late, so he's there maybe 10, 11 o'clock. So the parents are letting this kid run around at all times of the night. It just, I just don't care, and it doesn't make sense. Just strip away the teenage romance. More, more John, more Dan. Because the scene with John Candy eating and Dan Aykroyd egging him on is a very, very funny scene, and Dan Aykroyd has one of the most funniest lines in the whole movie right here. I think that just about does it. He's not done yet. Well, he may take a little while with that last bite, but it'll go down. That ain't the last bite. Well, sure it is. There's nothing on that plate but gristle and fat. Here we see, once again, Dan Aykroyd, the domineering presence. Forcing John Candy to do something he doesn't want to do. And that's through this whole movie. This is just dealing with somebody who has a bigger personality than yours. Dealing with that. Just having somebody just who can push you. And you know that you don't want to be pushed by this person, but this person knows they can push you. That's what this movie is about. One of the things about this movie is about. And he ate the 96. He staggers out and he's all sweaty He's got the shirt. I ate the '96. It's it's a very nice comical scene. If they would, it would have been better if they would have cut out the flashes between him eating and the girl waiting for, you know, waiting for her date. Well, he eventually shows up and she's gone. So guess what? He stood her up and she doesn't have to talk to him anymore because he said he does. She doesn't have to talk to him anymore if he doesn't show up. That'll teach you to say stupid stuff. So now we cut to the raccoons again. And the subtitles say that, oh, they put the garbage cans in the house. We cut to the next scene, and it's everybody coming home. And all the garbage is strewn over the ground. And here's something. They're here for a week. How much, well, what is it? Two, four, six, eight. Yeah, there's eight people there. I was going to say, how much garbage are they churning out? For being there only a week but i guess with eight people they would be churning out quite a bit of garbage anywho they come home the garbage is all over the floor john candy smells that and he's just gonna vomit and here's a famous blooper scene that's talked about a lot well maybe not a lot but i've heard it you see john candy run off and then the whole family runs after john candy and there's a shot that you're not supposed to see of dan aykroyd where he's counting off One, two, three, and when he reaches three, that's the actor's cue to run out of the scene. And we're not supposed to see that, and we do. You see Dan Aykroyd count to three, and you see him all run out while John Candy hurls his 96-ounce steak up. We cut to the next morning. It's 5 a.m. They're all going fishing, and they're going fishing with leeches. Not worms, leeches. And the joke on this one is they all fall asleep and they all wake up covered in leeches. We cut to the next scene and it's John Candy's oldest son calling her at work. Once again, I don't get this. If she thinks he ditched her, why would he be calling her? It just doesn't make sense. Find out what he has to say. Judge it on that. He got hung up with his family. Okay, that happens. He's there with his family. That's why they're there. It doesn't make sense why she would think that he wanted to date her one time show up again set up a date with her stand her up and then call her afterwards this is that's dumb just find out what he wants find out what happens yeesh okay now we cut back they're all in the cabin john candy's trying to build a fire and dan aykroyd's on him how to build a fire okay here's where it all comes to a head John Candy finally blows up, and Dan Aykroyd gets on his case, and now both families are fighting, and both families are yelling at each other, and both families, and finally, Dan Aykroyd and Annette betting, it's like, we're leaving. And John Candy and his wife is like, good, we want you gone. It was a realistic fight. It wasn't an over-the-top comical fight that you might see in a movie. It was a realistic fight you might see between two families that have sort of gotten on each other's nerves. And while they're leaving... Dan Aykroyd, the salesman that he is, turns to John Candy and says, I came up here for a reason. I have this investment. I wanted to let you in on the ground floor. And he basically soft soaps John Candy. And John Candy, his character, even though he gets mad, he has a heart of gold. And Dan Aykroyd knows this. And he plays on his heart of gold. And he tells him a story he made up about how John Candy said he was no good at, uh, his own wedding he just he just plays John Candy and John Candy ends up giving him money for this investment see him driving away in the Mercedes Benz and Annette Benning just goes on and on about how family is strong even though they had their disagreements John Candy trusted Dan Aykroyd And you can see something turn in Dan Aykroyd's eyes. And he turns the car around and he drives back to the cabin. And while this is going, there's this huge storm happening. And we get back to the cabin and we find out Dan Aykroyd tears up the check that John Candy gave him. And we find out that Dan Aykroyd is broke. He lost a seat on the exchange. And here's something. Let's go on one of these. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. In this movie, Dan Aykroyd couldn't cover, so he lost his seat on the stock exchange. In the movie Trading Places, another podcast I've done, he tricked these men to, to overextend so they would lose their seat on the stock exchange. I think that's kind of interesting. And we're back. Dan Aykroyd tells, and his wife, Annette Betting finds this out, along with everybody else, that he's broke. He came up here to put the pinch on John Candy and his family, and he can't do it because of family. Okay. That's a nice character arc for this, for Dan Aykroyd. He comes in as a jerk. Uh, he's going he's to put a bite on John Candy, But he sees the value of family, he sees the value of trust, and he comes clean. (laughs) Nice character arc. While this is all happening, the girls run out and they head back to the mine. Now everybody realizes that the girls are gone. And another weird editing scene happens during this. While they're in the cabin looking for the girls, we cut to a scene of John Candy's oldest son at the park looking for his girlfriend. But we cut back, and he's immediately in the cabin. This is poor editing. He's in the cabin, and then he's at the park, and then he's back in the cabin. You can't, you know, that just stands out like a sore thumb. They just saw him there. He can't be there and there at the same time. John Candy and uh, Dan Aykroyd go out and look for the little girls, and they track them down. They, The girls have gone back to the mine. They've fallen into the mine. And they're screaming. John Candy and Dan Aykroyd get there. John Candy says, you got to go down there. And Dan Aykroyd says, no, I can't do it, I'm claustrophobic. And John Candy sets him straight. What? Not me. What? I'm claustrophobic. I get in a closed-up space and I I lock up. What if I lose it? You won't lose it. And what if I blow it? What are we going to do? we got to get some help. We don't have time. You can do it. Roman, they're your children. Be their father, for God's sakes. For the first time in your life, be their father. And Dan Aykroyd takes that advice to heart. And he goes down to rescue his girls. And while he's going down to rescue his girls, John Candy runs off to find some rope. We find out that in the mine, there's dynamite. There's wet dynamite. And it's not really established in there, but wet dynamite is very, very unstable. Dan Aykroyd puts his two girls on his back, and he starts climbing up the mine. And while he's climbing up the mine, we see a bear enter from the back region of the mine. And Dan Aykroyd gets the girls out. And he takes him back home, but John Candy doesn't know this, so he goes back to the mine, and he gets back to the mine, he throws the rope down, and he lassoes the bear, and John Candy pulls the bear up the mine shaft. John Candy acting with himself is just a delight. He he works good with Dan Aykroyd, but just seeing John Candy just talk to himself and act with himself, it's a delight to watch. He's just a very natural, funny man that you just... Even in bad roles, you like to you like to watch him. He had that he had that spark. Well, he pulls the bear up from the mine, and the bear starts chasing him. And while the bear starts chasing him, the bear lets out a roar, and this wakes up the uh, the innkeeper, the owner of all this. John Candy gets back to the cabin, and he's trying to explain what happens, but he just can't. Big, big, Woo, big, big. All right, we'll make a big one. Big, bear, big, big. Home, honey big bear chase big bear chase what is he say what big bear chase me <laughs> and then the bear breaks down the door and now the door is on top of john candy and this bear is just hopping on john candy and you see this shot that stunt man is really under a door with a bear on top of him or i guess it might be the trainer whoever it is That's really happening. And then the bear starts chasing everybody around the cabin. And Dan Aykroyd tries to fend him off with a poker. And there's a scene where Dan Aykroyd and the bear are both in the scene at the same time. So Dan Aykroyd is in the scene with the bear. Uh, Now later, uh, there's scenes that are obvious when Dan Aykroyd is trying to fight the bear. It's obviously a fake bear, a fake bear head that he's wrestling with. But there's one shot where Dan Aykroyd is actually in the same scene with the bear. And while they're trying to fend off the bear... The uh, the owner runs in with a a rifle lamp at the beginning of the movie. It was a lamp, but it was also a rifle. So he comes in. John Candy goes, "That's a lamp," he, and the owner goes, "Yeah, but it's loaded." And he plugs <laughs> he plugs the rifle in and he shoots the bear in the ass, and all the bear's ass hair blows off. So now the the bear's ass is bare, <laughs> and the bear runs away whimpering and uh, whimpering and crying into the woods. The next morning, they're all leaving. We have one final scene. (sighs) Man, this is drawn out. But we have one final scene where the John Candy's son is just standing by the docks. And his quote-unquote girlfriend shows up. And they have one final kiss. It doesn't mean anything. It's just... Ugh, it just weighs this plot down so much nobody cares about these two characters there there would be if, if there was more scenes between John candy and his son that would have a larger influence on this movie than than his son with this girl there's nothing they're both nice characters but nobody cares you know have a bonding with you know John candy his son more bonding more Dan more John more bonding less teenage romance. I think the world would be a better place if if all those took place. And they're driving away. You know, they're saying their goodbyes. And Dan Aykroyd says, I'll race you home. John Candy's contemplating. Well, what John Candy doesn't know is that his wife said that they could stay with them until uh, Roman got back on his feet. So that's it. And so now they're racing home. And then we cut to the credits. And the credits are or uh, sung on their by Land of a Thousand Dances. And I don't know if this was a scene cut from the movie, but in this scene, Dan Aykroyd is just dancing all over the bar. I don't know if they could have done this, but Dan Aykroyd is an accomplished singer. I would have liked to have heard his version of Land of a Thousand Dances. The The credits roll, and then we have an after credit scene. That's right, Marvel stole from the great outdoors. There's an after credit scene of the raccoons talking about the bear that got shot in the butt. Blackout... And the movie, The Great Outdoors. What did I think of this movie? It is a pleasant watch. As I've said throughout this whole thing, we needed to drop the whole teenage romance thing. That did nothing to it. And we just, whenever Dan Aykroyd and John Candy are on the screen together, we needed more Dan Aykroyd and John Candy on the screen. The chemistry between them is un, undeniable. Working, we, we, I wanted to see more of that. The scenes with his son, John Candy bonding with his son, is nice. I think maybe we could have explored more of Dan Aykroyd getting closer to his daughters in this movie. I think we could have gone a lot of other ways other than the teenage romance. It's a nice, quick, fun watch. It drags in the middle of times, but there's a couple of really nice standout scenes. And Dan Aykroyd has this character down pat. Uh, He does what he does you actually begin to sympathize with Dan Aykroyd at the He starts off as a jerk, but you sympathize with him, so he pulls that off nicely in this, in this uh, movie. So, yeah, I would say check it out. It's a good movie. Not a great movie, but it's a good movie. And that's it. This has been another Dan Aykroyd podcast. If you want to support me, uh, you can always do that at my Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Scott White. If you want to check out my tour dates, where I'm going to be uh, this year, 2020, check out my website, scottyblanco.com. shows you all the projects that I'm working on and the various ways that you can support me and help me keep doing the Dan Aykroyd Podcast and all my other projects. First podcast of the new year under my belt. Hope to have many, many more coming to you, and I will see you next time on the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. back.